You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, it is time for Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being here. Looking forward to a great weekend as the Mariners take on the Mets. Start of a long road trip. And we've got, I think, a, a very timely Mariners pod for you. First of all, we're going to catch up. Aaron Goldsmith and I had a chance to chat with Justin Hollander about everything that transpired in the month of August. That's a fun conversation. And coming up after that, we catch up with one of our favorites. It's been a while. I don't think we've talked to Mark Simon in a while, but the timing is perfect. Mark uh, follows the Mets on a daily basis. So with the Mariners locking up with New York in a big series this weekend, we get some insight. I think we all have a general sense of the kind of season that the Mets have had, but he's going to give us some real close look at what has happened to the Mets this year heading into this weekend series. Also, he works, of course, uh, with Sports Info Solutions. They do a tremendous amount of work on defense. So we talk about where the Mariners are defensively as a team, and we get into some specifics, and specifically some Eugenio Suarez, which I think is a fascinating topic because you're hearing the chatter about Suarez and the gold glove, yet when you look at, you go to Fangrass, for example, and look at defensive runs saved, he rates out just a touch below average. He's minus two this year in defensive runs saved. At the same time, if you go to the StatCast version and their defensive metrics, OAA, he rates up much better. He's plus five. He's second in the American League behind Michael Garcia. Uh, Matt Chapman is number one in defensive runs saved. Not a surprise. He's plus 10, a tremendous defender at third base. So we tackle the Suarez issue specifically and and talk about some of the different things that go into defense and kind of the different systems and how they compare. So I think it's a really interesting conversation, especially the defensive conversation is so different than just talking batting average or on base percentage or anything like that. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. But uh, let's get started with Justin Hollander. Justin, we have just witnessed the single greatest month in franchise history. Uh, we all saw it coming. <laughs> you so often can predict these things. Uh, when you look back at the month of August, what jumps to your mind first? Everything. Everything is awesome. What was that song from the Lego movie? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Well, we, can, we can put that underneath, I think. Yes. Um, no, it's, uh, it's been really, really amazing to watch everything sort of come together at once. Most of the times when, when teams get hot, it's, oh, we're really playing great offense right now, or, man, our pitching is carrying us right now. And the collective 26 right now has been unbelievable. We were in our, our office Slack thread. We were talking about, like, who is not playing well right now? And it's, it's, there isn't anybody. Everybody is carrying the, what we think is exactly what they should be doing to much, much greater than that in whatever role they're being asked to play. It's really fun to watch 26 guys play to their potential in unison together. It doesn't happen very often, obviously. That's how you win a lot of games in one month. I mean, normally it doesn't happen for a week, let yep. alone four weeks. And really, I mean, a lot of this began, as we know, at the tail end of July. It was more than simmering in July, and now it's really crescendoed. I mean, you can't talk about August of 2023 for the Mariners without talking about Julio. Yep. What he has done is record-setting. 
It's things that you don't even think the greatest players in the history of the game could do in a single month. And yet, like when you think about how great he can be, at the same time, it's like, yeah, no, I could see him doing that. And he, and he has. That's the amazing thing. I didn't see this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has been hotter than the sun. Whatever like cliche expression you want to put on it, everything that hits his bat is either a rocket or it's perfectly placed. And I think the game we saw on Monday, the first game of the Oakland series, was like an exemplification of every tool you could have. He hits a rocket to the gap in his first at-bat. He hits a homer in his second at-bat. And then he runs 31 feet per second in his third at-bat in an infield hit. And then he gets another infield hit in his next at-bat. He's just showing you the whole array on top of stealing an ungodly amount of bases. He's on base all the time. And other than a couple of times when the umpires took away stolen bases from him in the, earlier in the month, he's basically been flawless at grabbing the extra base when he can. And he's played unbelievable defense on top of it. He's showing you an array of skills that are truly different than almost anyone in baseball has. And you're putting him in unique categories like Acuna, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Otani, the the best players who can affect the game in every phase possible. And that's what he's doing right now. It's been incredible to watch. That's what really stands out. We know he's got this ridiculous collection of skills, and it's like he is showing them all off at the same time, which is incredible. He's been good all season, right? Yeah. But this is a whole nother level. What has allowed him to go from good to otherworldly at this point? I think expectations of that if you're the most talented player that you should always be at your peak mm. are a little unfair. And I think when he came out of the gate and it was a little slow and he was trying to find himself, that people sort of got, I don't think it's unfair, but there was sort of like a, a negative bias created to what he wasn't doing as opposed to what he was doing. You know, somebody was joking like, for guys having like an on pace for a three and a half win season, everybody's complaining a whole lot about how it's going. And then he just... It all clicked. He made some mechanical adjustments with uh, working with Jared DeHart, our hitting coach, that I think have really taken hold. Just more syncing up his lower half and his upper half, creating less jumpiness at the plate. I think that's allowed him to see the ball longer to make better swing decisions. We talk about it all the time. I'm sure everyone is sick of hearing me or Jerry or Scott talk about that the foundation of everything offensively on the mound has to be controlling the strike zone. If Julio swings at the right pitches, he's going to be great. Like, all-time great. And what we've seen over the last month is him really lock in and square the ball up because he is more often than not swinging at the right pitches. And when he is, he's mechanically in sync enough to do damage on them. His strikeout rate has gone down every month, yep. right? I mean, nobody hits the ball practically harder than Julio. So you're right. It, it, when when he swings at the right pitches, good things happen. And the same can be said for Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, we've seen We've seen peak Teoscar Hernandez in August, essentially. Yeah. The silver slugger version of Teoscar who can carry a team for weeks at a time. I think Teo put a ton of pressure on himself. Coming to a new place in the last year of his club control, in a ballpark that's big, in a team that had expectations. And he sort of started to find himself as the season went on. And then the trade deadline happened, and there was all this talk. Are we going to trade Teo? Who's interested in Teo? Where's Teo going to go? And I remember seeing him the day the deadline passed and I walked downstairs and I gave him a hug and I just said, I'm really glad you're here. And it was like, he was exhausted emotionally. You could tell it was like, the, he was thrilled that he was here and also just thrilled that this is behind him. The uncertainty. I don't think people have a true appreciation for the changes that exist in someone's life. Like what if I asked you just to pick up and move either with or without your family on a day's notice 
and go play on the road every day after that. Like, sorry, Goldie, you're now broadcasting for the Marlins. Like, you can bring your family with you or not. It's up to you. Like, you know, good luck to you. Hope you figure it out and go be your best version of yourself. You don't know any of the other players. You don't know the coaches. You've never hit in the ballpark before. Good luck. And to, to have that be on your mind is, oh, God, am I going to have to move again? I just spent most of my major league career with the Blue Jays. I've come to a new place. We're finally getting settled. And now I might get traded again. What's that going to be like? And to have that be behind him and just relax and go play free, I think has been a huge, huge weight off his shoulders. Can you do that goalie to the Marlins thing? Do you <laughs> have any power I, for that? I obviously have a no trade clause. That, oh, okay. Because that would be great. Goldie had a lot of juice this offseason. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> I, have, I have ten five rights. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I think so. so Thank you. I'll talk to Kevin Martinez okay. and make sure it's the time. I think I think I'm in the driver's seat here. Thank you very much. You know when. That's great perspective, by the way, because Gary, Gary and I have said those kinds of things before, but coming from you and the way that you put it there, I mean, that is, it's pretty crystal clear because you're right. Uh, it is a big life change. And we talked to Logan Gilbert uh, about what it was like for him because nobody, nobody saw <laughs> Logan Gilbert's name being thrown around when the Mariners broke camp back in Peoria, if you would have fast forwarded to the trade deadline. And he said something really interesting, and you know Logan uh, even better than we do. He said, I've come up through this organization. These are players and coaches that I've gotten to know. Right? These are my brothers, and I, I want to be here, and I want to be a part of this. You, you could really sense and feel the genuine buy-in. And it's, I have to imagine it's the same for so many of your players, especially those who, like Logan, are homegrown. We have a lot of players that either they're traditionally homegrown, meaning we drafted or signed them as international free agents as teenagers, or we acquired them before they became established major leaguers, guys like Kelnick or J.P. Crawford or Andres Munoz or Matt Brash. Like, they're Mariners, regardless of whether we signed them to their first contract or not. I think there is a comfort level that exists. And for so many of our players, I did want to tell them, Logan as being one of them, hey, don't worry about it. You're not going anywhere. It's just hard in our position to do that because you can't make promises that you, you know, you're not certain you can keep. I think the odds of any of those guys being traded was very low. You never want to go back on your word. And so, like, I, I had joked about it when there was a story that came out that there was a team interested in Logan Gilbert. I wanted to say, yeah, there's 29 teams interested in Logan <laughs> Gilbert. He's awesome. Like, yeah. I'm sure that if we put Logan Gilbert and send an email to the league, does anyone want Logan Gilbert? <laughs> Everyone would respond and say, yes, he's, he's awesome. So uh, I think that's, that's a hard part of this business. I know for players that are dealing with it for the first time, it's really tough. It's tough when your wife or your fiance or your parents are calling and wanting to know, are you, do the Mariners not like you anymore? Are, are, are you going to have to move? What's it going to be like in this place? Do you want to go to this? Those are questions they've never had to answer before or deal with. You know, whether they were high school players or college players, they've essentially chosen their destination. Then they got drafted or signed. If they signed, they chose their place. If they got drafted, they knew it was out of their hands. And they've been in the same place forever. A lot of players that we've signed uh, – wanted to be here, had a great experience in our developmental system and achieved a lot of success, both in player development and now in the major leagues. It's a hard thing to think, oh, God, I may not be here anymore. This is the only, like, I've only ever driven one place to a home game. I've only ever been in one home clubhouse. Those are, those are hard things to manage as you get in and around a trade deadline. Whenever there is a season like this, a team that makes a push to the playoffs, there always is a guy or two that – you just didn't expect their contributions. You have a number of guys like that. But I'm thinking of Topa and Spire in particular and what they have done for your team this year, especially with the backdrop of everything both those guys have gone through in their careers and lives to get to this point and their contributions. What have they meant to you in the bullpen? 
unbelievable, unbelievable stabilizers for us. And, you know, neither guy broke camp with us, and people don't remember that. We we gave deference to the guys that performed for us last year who were awesome. Um, and coming out of camp, we didn't want to let jobs be decided by spring training games in Peoria. We didn't think that was the right thing to do unless it was a huge separation. And I joked with our staff, however you think it is today, it'll change in a week. Whether we want it to or not, it'll change in a week. And a week later, Topin Spy were here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they've been rocks for us. Uh, you know, the, the way that, that Scott manages the bullpen is really dependent on our ability to pivot out of the starter and fit guys into different pockets and to be adjustable. You know, Scott's talked about forever how he hates the term closer. We haven't had a closer here in a while. And we've seen Topa and Spire and Mooney and Brash and Paul when he was here all float between different leverage roles depending on the situation of the game, depending on the pocket of the lineup. It gives Scott so much freedom and trust to know that those guys are available to him every night and that he can trust them. He can trust them to miss a bat. He can trust them to throw strikes. No one has contributed more to our success out of the bullpen than those two guys. Justin, as always, man, this has been awesome. We really appreciate it. Been fun month. Let's keep it going. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There's Mariners General Manager Justin Hollander, and now we turn our attention to Mark Simon. Well, Mark, I want to start with this. The Mets have been a big story all season long in Major League Baseball, and you get a chance to watch them up close. And for Mariner fans, I I think everyone gets a general sense of the season for the Mets, the high expectations. They haven't lived up to those expectations. But for fans that don't watch it every day and don't see it every day like you do, how would you describe how the Mets got to where they are now, which is – shockingly a last place team in their division. Yeah. So I've been calling them the melts for much of the season because I just feel like that's a more appropriate word and it's Mets plus L right. Um, You had the combination of injuries that forced people into positions that they weren't necessarily ready for. Um, You had uh, not just injuries, but also lack of production at certain positions that forced someone like a rookie, like Brett Beatty who comes Pretty highly touted. They give him a very fair shake at things, and he just runs into trouble. He's he had a 620 OPS. They wound up eventually sending him down. Um, there's situations like Starling Marte, who was terrific last season, but he's old. He's 34, and he showed his brittleness a little bit this season. Uh, he's he's basically been nothing for them playing about half the season. Uh, Pete Alonso for an extended period of time was uh, in the two, low 200s batting average wise. He's, his power surge has come not, this is not a knock on him, but his power surge has come a lot since things got really bad. Like in the, in the middle part of the season, there was a time where he got hit by a pitch and he couldn't uh, hit the ball out with the same authority. Jeff McNeil's numbers are way off. Um, the injury, as I mentioned, Verlander and Edwin Diaz forced 
like essentially an extra pitcher onto the staff for Diaz in Diaz's case in the bullpen. David Robertson was great, but whoever they threw who wasn't David Robertson seemed to run into trouble. Uh, right-handed, various right-handed pitchers, whether that was Adovino early, Jeff Brigham early, uh, Dominic Leone more recently, Drew Smith more recently, uh, and Carlos Carrasco, I mean, close to a 7 ERA this year. That's not going to cut it. The younger pitchers, McGill and Peterson, they're not cutting it. And then the Mets cut bait and said, the heck with the season. On to next year uh, and 2025, they bought a farm system, and that's where they stand right now, trying to have a little fun. They had a fun game on Wednesday night. DJ Stewart's been hitting the ball really well. But that's a long answer, but that's basically your story of your 2023 New York Mets. Yeah, it's a long list. Well, speaking of next year and the year beyond, do you feel like when you look at this roster, is this like a quick, hey, they'll be in contention next year? Or do you feel like this may be a longer couple-year process to be a contender in the division? I think that the owner isn't going to sit still in the offseason. I think something's going to happen. You'll hear about a disgruntled guy somewhere that he'll go in and he'll and he'll tell his GM or president of baseball operations, if it becomes David Stearns, to snatch. Uh, or they'll make a couple of signings. They're going to have to sign some starting pitchers because right now they don't have the bodies at starting pitcher. They've got Kodai Senga, who's been very, very good. They've got Jose Quintana, who was out for most of the year. And since he's come back, he's been good. But the strikeout to walk not great so they need they probably need to sign two starting pitchers or trade for one um the the i i just can't see a the a steve cohen ownership team saying hey um we're just gonna go conservative in the offseason i don't i just don't see that i think the talk of trading pete alonzo i don't buy it uh i don't see any reason why you would do that he's 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 beloved he's meant to be a met for the entirety they've got some young talent they'll give Beatty another shot they'll give alvarez francisco alvarez a shot they'll give uh some of their other young guys a shot but i think they're gonna try and put together a team that can be strong wild card contender next year uh, maybe not quite brave level, but uh, I think they're going to still be, uh, they're still going to try and be pretty good. Yeah. Pete Alonzo to me feels like a lifetime Matt. It, it was kind of startling to hear those rumors pop up because that's something that I didn't expect to hear with Alonzo. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like he he very clearly uh, has embraced the city. He loves being a Met. Uh, he has produced, despite what I said before, he has produced at a level that is unheard of for anyone other than, and he's gone even beyond in the brief time that he's been here, Daryl Strawberry. Like he's your, he, him, Piazza, Strawberry are your Homer on command guys that just seem to always hit uh, home runs when you need them. He'll shatter the Met home run record if he stays. He's had a down year batting average wise, but he's gotten better with the glove. He's There's no reason to let him go. I don't want to say he'd take a discount to sign with the Mets, but I bet he would take a small one. And he, unless they think, oh, he's going to injure his back in the next year or two, um, there's no reason to let him go. Now, you mentioned Daryl Strawberry. How was the news received by Mets fans that Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, their numbers will be retired next season as Mets? So I would say that people are extremely enthusiastic about that. The timing was really good on that because it's been so, so, so bad this year that you needed something to just make you feel good about the team. And the people that are my age that live through Daryl Darryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden when they were kids, like I'm 48. Uh, I was eight when Strawberry got called up. I was nine when Dwight Gooden got called up. And I lived every one of their starts. 
those guys are baseball heroes. I'm not I'm not going to speak necessarily to life heroes, baseball heroes for so many people. Um, they're a reminder of certainly what could have been because the potential for both of those people was cut down by a variety of things. But when they were at their peak, Strawberry at-bats were an event. Dwight Gooden starts were an event. And that's going to be two really cool days next year when they're each inducted. Uh, I'm sorry, when they each have their uniform number retired. Francisco Alvarez, the 21-year-old catcher with 21 home runs on the season, which is pretty impressive, especially in the context of the catching position and production in Major League Baseball. I mean, that's out-homering a lot of teams in that position, which is pretty impressive. How good has he been in his first season? So there's two answers to that. One is that at times he's been uh, very good. Uh, in terms of what he brings power-wise, certainly. The batting average has been down. Part of that is due to um, early on um, when it was bad for him. It was really, really bad. And he's since kind of – he's he's taken that aspect of his game and it's not as much of a struggle spot for him anymore. The surprise has been that he's been really good defensively. And I think you'll see it a little bit in terms of the pitch framing uh, in the three games this weekend. You won't necessarily see it in his arm. He has trouble throwing guys out, but he's an extremely valuable catcher defensively because of the skill that he's shown at framing pitches and getting these guys extra strikes. Uh, A little bit of a work in progress still offensively, but overall, I think you would have to grade him as you would you would say you're satisfied with him, but you see the potential for him to be even better. With Francisco Lindor, who's still considered a star in this game, as you watch him play, it, it, is it star level? I guess is the the question I'm asking. Is is he providing the punch that you would expect from the name Francisco Lindor? So uh, I guess the answer to that is no but and i guess my my explanation on that is that if you look at his 17 18 if you look in particular at like 2018 when he had 38 home runs uh hit about 280 stole 25 bases he's not there and his he's now instead of being a 290s 300s guy he's hitting 251 at the time that we're talking he does have the 24 homers and the 24 steals he's been really good in that regard the thing that makes him particularly valuable is that a is a shortstop and b he plays every day so his wars are still really good but it's not the same kind of thing that you thought you were getting it's not the guy that you thought you were getting uh, the 24 and 25 year old version of Lindor. Um, and he, he's, he's another one who the, I feel like the better days for him this season have come after the team was really kind of dunzo more or less. I'm looking at it right now on July 4th, he was hitting 224 and his batting average has gone up nearly 30 points in that time. Let's shift gears and talk some defense. You and Sports Info Solution do such great work when it comes to defense. Uh, before we dive into the the Mariners kind of specifically, just in a general sense, uh, what kind of defensive team are the Mariners compared to other teams in Major League Baseball? So I think that if you're going to do like rankings, you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, the Mariners are like the sixth best or the eighth best or the 10th best. They're seventh the day that we look at this by our measures. Uh, I feel like there are tiers in baseball this year. The Blue Jays and the Brewers are kind of in that top tier. And then you've got the Padres, the Dodgers, the Rays, Diamondbacks, 
Seattle, Baltimore, the Cubs, certainly the Cubs might be at the top end of that. Uh, You've got this hodgepodge of like eight or nine teams that I would define as pretty good, but not necessarily uh, great. Um, The Mariners are particularly strong in certain areas and the numbers in some other areas are not as strong. A team like the Blue Jays, other than first base, is pretty much strong across the board. The Brewers are pretty much strong across the board. The Mariners are like good. They don't necessarily have that super duper kind of thing going on. You know, you make a great point because I that's how I think about the Mariners. They are good just about everywhere, but not spectacular anywhere, which is interesting because as a philosophy, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but I wonder like what is more useful as a defensive team? Would you rather be just kind of good everywhere or would you want to be stand out in some places, but in other places it's down. It, it, I don't know the answer to that. I just think it's, it's interesting to think about when you talk about team defense. I would, I would stress uh catcher shortstop center field, second base, probably in that order. Um, the Mariners, uh, it's funny because the Mariners by some measures, Julio rates rates great in center field, not necessarily as much in ours. Um, but those the the up the middle positions because those are the ones that seem to be the most involved in the game. Um, yeah, the, I I think that's where I would go. Like that's why I said the Cubs before. I like the Cubs because the Cubs are really really strong at short and second. Uh, they've improved considerably in center field and at catcher. They're they're good enough basically. Um, so yeah, like that's a team that I like defensively. Uh, the Blue Jays would certainly be another. You mentioned Julio. It's interesting too when you look at the Mariners' outfield that rates pretty well, and especially Cade Marlowe, who's made a really big impact in his short time so far at this level defensively. It's been pretty impressive. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a bunch of runs saved. Uh, he had uh, more than I thought that he would have uh, in just looking at someone who's played like 30 games. And some of that will self-correct. Like, we, you can't really say that someone's – like, you know how you would say like through 30 games, if a guy's got like eight home runs, you'd say, oh, he's on a 40-homer pace. You're not going to say a guy's on a 40-defensive run save pace because he had a good 30 games. You're going to have a good 30 games. You're going to have a eh, – next 30. Um, so I think that'll level out a little bit, but yeah, he's made a couple of nice ones. Uh, in particular, I think what we've liked is that he seems to get good jumps on the ball, uh, and has done a nice job at catching balls that are hit to the deeper part of the park. One of the reasons I always look at the stuff that you guys do defensively is I think speaking for me, when you watch a game, it's really hard to concentrate on defense because you're following the ball. For example, like it's hard with the naked eye. You're watching a pitcher throw. You're watching the bat off the ball. You don't see the jump from the outfielder. As far as we know, he could have taken two steps in and then gone back because you just don't see that when you're watching a game live. And same for an infielder. You don't necessarily know, hey, are they really good going to the right or left? Because we don't see that initial move out of the gates. That's how I think about defense. Is that how you think about defense and what your numbers try and capture? Yeah, totally. And the experience of going to a game and watching, uh, as I'm actually doing on Sunday, uh, changed for me when I started working for this company, really when I got exposed to the idea of defensive metrics, because you can, if you're at the ballpark, you can kind of at least see it uh, like peripherally a little bit. But if you watch, uh, like media has access to the all nine cameras, and you can see so much more when you look at that in terms of did a guy get a good break on a ball? There was... um, 
Alex Cobb had a no-hit bid uh, the other night, um, eight and two-thirds. And the last ball the guy got close to it was a ball in the right center gap, and he chased it down, and he missed it by a couple of feet. And if you watched it on the all nine, you saw that he was kind of starting flat-footed. So it was a really difficult chase to get to that ball, whereas if he had had like a little pre-pitch step in some direction, maybe he catches it. I'm not an expert. That was at least what I saw uh, with my eyes. Um, but all those little things, like the pre-pitched uh, step, they make a huge difference. They really do. And yeah, it's hard to measure that watching on TV when you see a ground ball at third base and you're thinking, oh, that was a great play. Well, maybe, maybe it wasn't. That's that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, it's why talking defense in general can be more difficult because most of the things we talk about in the game are like, there's a batting average, there's an on-base. dry the home run toll. It's all pretty concrete. Defense is just, it's, it's different. I mean, you guys do a great job of course, but it's uh, sometimes it doesn't match up to people's eyes. And uh, Eugenio Suarez is a great example. I, I think you, if you talk to most people in Seattle, they say he's in gold glove contention. He's made a ton of spectacular plays this year yet in your rankings, he doesn't rank as one of the best third baseman defensively in baseball. Yeah, he's uh, he's a cut below average, and I feel like that has credibility because it's not one season that we're talking about this for. It is about, I think it's 400-something games for him going back to 2019 when he was negative six runs saved. He was negative four in, in the short in 2020. He was negative three in 2021. He was negative two in 2022. So there's a track record there. It's uh, it's that he's got, I don't want to say he's got issues, but it's that he maybe isn't fielding as many balls as other third basemen are fielding of uh, comparable nature. Yeah, and that's probably the difference because when he, when he gets to a ball, he makes the plays. We've seen that all season long, but that's, that's part of the thing that is hard to judge when you're just watching a game in person. For sure. Movement, do you see? year from year. Do you see big swings in the numbers defensively for guys from year to year? So it's funny. Um, someone just wrote an article for Baseball Prospectus about this that, yeah, it does happen. Um, there are a couple of examples, uh, even like Nolan Arenado is a great example this year that he's at zero at the time that we're talking. And he was 19 last year and 23 in 2019. And he's had a history of great but this year, uh, his the number of we we track what we would call good fielding plays. His good fielding plays are way down. His mistakes are about the same as what they were. He's no longer making the spectacular play. And the way that you get to these great defensive run save numbers and gold gloves is to make the good plays and then to make a bunch of spectacular ones. And he's not uh, doing that this year. It happens. Sometimes it could just be the assortment of balls that are hit to you in a given period of time. Um, I actually had a conversation with a player about this and he said, uh, why is my number down? And I said, is it possible that in this 40 game stretch or whatever, that you haven't had to dive? There haven't been as many balls that you would have had to have dove for to extend your range to try and make that great catch. And then sure enough, in like the next 40 games, he had like six of those and his numbers perked up a bit. So sometimes it's just the assortment of balls that you get in a given period of time. Um, but I feel with Suarez, there's at least there's a track record on our end that the numbers for him are slightly below average. How much has your process evolved as the the years have gone by since you've been there? 
So uh, I think the company is always trying to, at this point, like subtle improvements are kind of the theme of it because we have a system and baseball savant uh, MLB has a system and there's another system, UZR, and Baseball Prospectus has a system. And these systems all kind of operate off the same principle that you know, we're trying to figure out um, for any batted ball, what's the chance of the play being made? And that over 500 plays, 1,000 opportunities, whatever the number becomes, uh, it gets you to a point of defensive run save. So now it's like little tinkerings. We actually just did a presentation in uh, at a sabermetric conference about directional momentum because that isn't that doesn't count in defensive run save so if jp crawford is fielding a ball uh in the five six hole and he uh has to throw as he's fading away from the base that's a different out probability than if he fields the ball plants and throws uh it's a much different kind of play and the early versions of defensive run save don't necessarily take that into account. So that's something that might get added into our system and that we can go back for a few years at least and adjust uh, numbers. They're not going to, there aren't that many plays where that necessarily comes into play, but it's being more fair to the defender to do it that way. Right. Cause it's a completely different play. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's a good way. I never thought about it in those terms. That's a, that's super interesting. You, you mentioned the different systems, is it similar to like a difference between F war and B war, for example, like sometimes they just spit out different numbers and <laughs> sometimes, you know, defensively we see different numbers in different systems. Yeah. Um, I think part of it is that um, there are some systems that are automated in terms of, of certain things. Um, and then there are some systems, our system is partially automated, but also there is a human component to it of marking certain things um, where you might not necessarily get it perfect. Um, it's funny, um, Mike Petriello and I uh, often compare on certain guys. And sometimes we feel like we can figure out why the difference exists. And sometimes we just throw up our hands and we say, we don't know. But yeah, uh, yes, that happens. I think uh, in the end, what I try and look for is like with Suarez track records of certain things. And if a guy's got three or four years of a certain thing, then I'm going to say, okay, I, I feel pretty confident in this. You alluded to it. You just wrote a great article on the Mariners. Uh, tell Mariner fans uh, <laughs> they can follow you and where they can follow the great work that you're doing. Sure. Um, we post our articles at sportsinfosolutions.com. Uh, you can find them all there. You can follow us on Twitter at sportsinfo underscore SIS and SIS underscore baseball. And if you haven't finished writing these things down, Mark A. Simon says, uh, all those places uh, you can find our work. Uh, we're pretty active on the SIS Baseball Twitter, tweeting about uh, current Major League Baseball and also Japanese baseball, too, for those that are interested in that. Well, Mark, I feel like we got the the two for one here. This was a great to catch up. It was great to talk some Mets. It was great to talk some defense. I always love chatting, so it was fun to catch up again. Thanks for all the time tonight. I appreciate it. You got it.